Father, I'm so thankful that you, through your Holy Spirit, are present right now. And you're going to take the Word of God that you, O Holy Spirit, inspired. And you're going to illumine it to our hearts. You're going to make it become plain in our lives. Help us then to take what we hear and apply it to our lives so that when we leave this place, our attitudes, our behavior, our mindset will be just a little bit different because we've encountered you and your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So what was your greatest moment of fear? You think about something in your life that was, this is probably my greatest moment of fear. For me, it was probably in the spring of my senior year in college. Um, it was uh, what we called dead week back in those days. That was a four, three or four day period before finals began when there were no classes and you were supposed to be studying for finals, right? 22-year-old boys don't study for finals during dead week. You find something to do. And so we went out to uh, Lake Waco to go swimming. There were some cliffs out there and we were jumping off the cliffs and it was a lot of fun and and uh, just a lot of good time for some odd reason. Now, I am not a strong swimmer. My idea of swimming is just staying alive in the water, okay? Uh, that's who I am. But for some reason, I thought, you know what? I'm going to swim across this inlet. Because we were, we were, the cliffs were right here. There was a highway bridge that went way up here, you know. And over there was, a, was the other side. And this, this inlet came in. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to swim across there. You know, as I think back on it, it was maybe 60, 70, 100, 200, 300 yards. I don't know. It was longer than I thought it was going to be. So I started out swimming, and I got about a third of the way across, and I was getting tired, and I was getting panicky. And and I thought, well, I'm going to swim over here to the to the highway bridge, the, the abutment of the highway bridge, and hold on and catch my breath for a little while. I got over there, and the thing was so slick with moss that I couldn't hold on to anything. And so then I thought, well, I've got to finish going across here because it looked to be closer that way than it did to go back the way I came. And so I'm swimming as hard as I can, and I'm getting weak, and I'm getting tired, and I'm getting panicky, and I'm scared to death that I'm going to drown. So the next thing I know, what do you do? You just flip over on your back and you just hope that you can kick long enough to get to the other side of the shore. And when I got on the other side, my legs were so rubbery, I couldn't even get out of the water. I just had to sit in, you know, in the water up to here for about five minutes just because I was trembling. I scared me spitless. Have you ever had an experience like that of just sheer fear of, of what you were facing? Well, fear is kind of a common human emotion that all of us share. In fact, this human emotion of fear is triggered when we feel threatened, whether it's by circumstances, threatened by other people, threatened by life-threatening situations or events that are taking place in our life. And what fear is, is a basic survival mechanism that signals our body to respond to danger with either fight or flight. And, and as such, fear really is a valuable emotion that is essential, in part for keeping us safe in life. The difficulty comes, though, <clears throat> when fear becomes debilitating. 
when, when fear becomes something that robs us of the joy of living, um, when it becomes chronic, when it controls our every response to everyday situations. Our fear mechanism uh, kind of works in this way. Let me share with you kind of the, the physiological, uh, physiology of, of fear because it's preparing us to react to danger. Um, when we sense that there is danger, our body begins to release hormones. And those hormones do two things. One of the first things the hormones do is they slow down or they stop the functioning of body systems that we don't necessarily need to face fear, such as digestion. You don't need your digestion if you're facing something that's attacking you, okay? But at the same time, those hormones also then speed up or sharpen those body systems that we need to fight the fear thing, such as our eyesight, such as our hearing. Um, and, And at the same time, our heart rate increases, Blood flows to the muscles so that we can run faster if we need to to get out of this fearful situation. <clears throat> what also happens <clears throat> is these hormones flow to a very special place in our brain that helps us focus on the perceived danger. Um, and, and the brain not only sharpens the focus on that which is is a perceived danger, but it begins to store things that are happening in our memory bank so that we're remembering all those those details. Um, and once the fear pathway is ramped up, our brain begins to, begins to react in very predictable ways. One way in which, um, the, you know, this signal of impending danger is hitting our brain is that um, it slows down or even sometimes stops rational thinking. When you're very terrified... You don't necessarily think rationally. And that's part of what your, your brain is doing. But also, it's going to start recording all of the things that are happening in this danger situation. And it records them as negative things. So it, it's always a negative thing when, when your brain is storing all these, these danger perceptions and so forth. And then it, it um, also records all the details surrounding the the event of danger temperature sights smells sounds the weather who is with you uh you remember all of those things but they're recorded into your mind as negative kinds of things uh, my father-in-law was a decorated uh world war ii uh, crew member of a b of b-17s in fact um the average you know the assignment for any crew member on a B-17 was to fly 25 missions and then you go home. Somehow my father-in-law flew 52 missions over Germany at a time when the return rate for B-17s was less than 50%. So he went through 52 episodes of what I would have considered to be sheer terror, of, of grave danger. And all those details were filed away in his mind over all these years. And until the day he died, if somebody filed their nails around my, my father-in-law, he would go over the top. Because it reminded him of something in the way of the dangers that he faced. Well, that's what fear does for us. Uh, all of our surroundings can serve to remind us of previous danger. And, and our mind 
perceives them maybe as the harbinger of there's coming disaster that's coming. That's what happens in PSTD. Is those details surface in some way. There's something that brings that up and causes fear to arise. So when fear is chronic, it impacts the quality of our life in in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, it can impact our health. Uh, It weakens the immune system. It can uh, cause all sorts of heart damage, uh, heart issues. It can cause uh, gastrointestinal issues such as ulcer and, and, uh, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome and so forth. And then it can also cause people to, uh, who have chronic fear, they, they age faster and they're more susceptible to premature death. But beyond the physical health issues, fear can also impact the memory. Uh, it contributes to anxiety. Uh, and finally, it also impacts brain functioning in the area of rational thinking and in the area of, of processing. Here's what I want to say, though. For us who are followers of Jesus Christ, fear is not a part of God's plan for our life. In fact, over in 2 Timothy, uh, uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, that God has not given to us the spirit of fear. That's not a part of God's plan for our life. In fact, in Scripture, 365 times... God says, fear not. 365 times he says, do not be afraid. He said that to Abraham. He said that to Jacob. He said that to Moses. He said that to Joshua. And throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, uh, to Mary, the angel said, do not fear. To the shepherds, do not fear. And you just go on and on through Scripture. 365 times God says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't fear. This morning, I want us to look at some steps to help us, not steps, but really guidelines to help us conquer, uh, to uh, handle fear in our life. Look in your notes there at, at Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Here's one of those fear nots. It says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up by my victorious right hand. That's a verse for your refrigerator, okay? That's a verse to, to memorize. If, if you deal with fear, there's a great verse. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. <clears throat> so let's look this morning at some guidelines that uh, are found in Psalm 27. It's a psalm written by David. Um, and it really talks about how we can move from fear to ultimate faith in God to overcome our fears. Because as David is writing this, he finds himself in a situation where there is the potential for fear to control him and to sidetrack him in his life. Uh, the, the title of Psalm 27 in the Septuagint, you remember the Septuagint is the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures happened in about the 3rd century B.C. Uh, And so in the Septuagint, the title to this psalm is a psalm of David, quote, before he was anointed, end quote. In other words, this psalm was written before David became king. 
<clears throat> and uh, so those were the days when he was running for his life from King Saul, who was trying to, to kill him. Verse 2 is going to talk about the fact that there are evil men who are wanting to devour him. There are enemies and foes who are attacking him. When you get to verse 12, it talks about false accusations against him. So David is facing a very fearful period in his life. And in this psalm, he's going to speak of three different kinds of fear. Fear that all of us face at one time or other in our life. Things that make us afraid. So let's see how David face those fears and maybe some lessons that we can learn from David about how we can move from fear to faith in our everlasting God. So the very first thing that he talks about is how do we diffuse the fear of circumstances? So let's look at diffusing the fear of circumstances. <clears throat> now again, here's David's circumstances. David, at this time in his life, had become a champion fighter for Israel. He was a warrior who was mighty and renowned. In fact, he was so good at fighting that he was acclaimed to be the better warrior than King Saul. Well, King Saul is the king. And so out of, out of probably his insecurities and so forth, King Saul said, I've got to get rid of David. Because he's going to take over my throne one day. I don't, I'm jealous of his, his, uh, his fame. I don't want him taking over my throne. And so King Saul did whatever he could to try to find David and kill him. In fact, in, in um, 1 Samuel 19 verse 1, the text says this, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. So here's David and he's facing a situation <clears throat> where he's running for his life. At any point on any day, he could be captured and he could be killed. And so he's hiding in the wilderness and time and time again, Saul sends troops to find David and to kill David. And if he isn't sending troops, King Saul is leading troops to go out and find David and, and to kill David. And so it's out of that experience that David writes this psalm. So beginning there in Psalm 27, beginning at verse 1. David writes this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. <clears throat> he will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. What I want you to know about this psalm is that verse 1 is the conclusion to the psalm. This is the principle that David says, this is what I've learned. He, he makes that statement. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? <clears throat> In other words, he's saying, there is no reason to be afraid. And so that's the principle. That's the conclusion 
And the rest of the psalm is the application of what David has learned. He's going to talk about why he should never be afraid. He's going to talk about what circumstances he finds himself in that he shouldn't be afraid about. Uh, and, and so what I want you to do is to let that verse, first verse, let the truth of that verse sink into your heart and into your mind. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. Why then should I tremble? See, in this psalm, <clears throat> David is going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, <clears throat> David's going to give us some great guidelines for moving from fear to faith in our life. Um, And the first thing that I want you to notice here is that David is not closing his eyes to the circumstances around him. You, You read that first verse and maybe your conclusion is, well, he's just an eternal optimist. No, the reality is he's a realist but he's not a pessimist. And so that's the first guideline that I would say when you and I are facing fear is that we need to face our fears with reality. Don't hide your head in the sand and think, well, everything is peachy keen. Because if there's danger, acknowledge it. Be realistic about what you're facing. Um, Verse 2 and 3 says, you know, evil people come to devour me when my enemies and foes attack me. They... um, Um, attack me they will stumble and fall though a mighty army surrounds me my heart will not be afraid even if I'm attacked I will remain confident see the only way to deal with fear is to face it just to face it and so it's okay to be realistic about the situation you're in don't be pessimistic but be realistic don't go around with some kind of rose colored glasses thinking that everything is just wonderful when it's not Acknowledge the reality of your situation. Because, you know, if, if we're going to say, oh, it, nothing's, you know, it's, it's nothing big here, and, and you just kind of ignore the danger, uh, you're going to end up in worse shape than, than if you are realistic about what you're facing. So face your fears. Name them for what they are. Um, they're tough circumstances that are, that are bringing fears to your life. Avoidance just leads to anxiousness. So be realistic about your fears. Second guideline, I think that we learn from David is that you need to face your fears from a heavenly point of view. Face your fears with a heavenly point of view, with God's point of view. Make sure he's in the mix. Because David is looking at the reality of his situation and he's looking at it from heaven's viewpoint. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. God will conceal me and he will hide me. Uh, So when you're analyzing the dangers that you're facing, your fears that are that are eating you alive, include God in your in your analysis. Uh, Seek to see things from God's viewpoint. Uh, Recognize you're not alone in what you're facing. I mean David didn't ignore the danger. But what did he do? He acknowledged that he wasn't alone in the danger. That God was with him in that situation. Verse 3 says, Though a mighty army surround me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Why can David say that? Why can he remain confident? Verse 1, Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So face your fears and keep God in view. Make it a heavenly point of view. Third guideline, you need to face your fears with absolute trust in God's protection. Absolute trust in God's protection. You know, David said in verse 5, God will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. I love that last phrase. You know, you've got grandchildren coming over, and as a grandparent, what do you do? Things that are kind of precious, things that you don't want to get broken, what do you do? You put them up high, right? Did you catch that? God is going to place me out of reach on a high rock so that dangers can't get to me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God does for us? See, God is all we need. Uh, He is our light, and so we don't need to fear the darkness. He is our strength. We don't need to fear our weakness. He is our salvation. We don't need to fear defeat. Uh, We need to remember again, what does fear do? It causes us to notice and to remember things, and it's always in the negative, right? It's always in the negative. Um, But we can conquer that fear by keeping in mind the positive truth of God's presence and of God's power on our behalf. What did Paul say in Romans 8, 31? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? It's a great truth to remember. Fourth guideline, I think we see from this part of, the, of this psalm, is that we need to face our fears with worship. Face our fears with worship. Verses 4 and following. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary I will offer sacrifice with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Now, remember that David was living out in the wilderness, hiding in caves. In the southern part of, of what we know as, as, as of Judah, or Judea. Uh, and he was a long way from the tabernacle, the place of worship. And yet David is saying that I can worship God wherever I find myself. That uh, I can enter into a fellowship with God regardless of where I am. You realize that God's uh, house at this point was still just a tent. It was still the tabernacle that had been erected in the wilderness back in Moses' day, some hundreds of years earlier. Uh, the temple that is going to be built, that magnificent structure, is still yet to be built. And so here's the tabernacle. It, it's a tent that, uh, that he's talking about here, and yet he's referring to it as God's temple. And think about this. In the ancient Near East, when you went into the tent of of a host somebody invited you over and you went into their tent it became the the owner of that tent's responsibility to protect you and to provide for you and so this flimsy tent suddenly becomes a fortress because you are guarded by all the protection and all the provision that the owner of that tent would give and and so when we approach God in worship When we enter his sanctuary in worship, 
It's his responsibility to protect us and to provide for us. Because we're in his tabernacle. We're in his temple. We're in his sanctuary. We're in his, his presence. Um, and think about it. When, when we approach God in worship, we're going to find his protection. We're going to find his provision. After all, what is worship? What is worship? Think about it. Worship is simply lifting our eyes off of our fears and focusing them on our powerful Heavenly Father. That's what worship does for us. Worship is lifting our eyes off of us and our neediness and seeing God and His powerfulness. Um, it's the idea of worship the sovereign God. And what you do when you worship, you're going to find that God becomes larger and larger and larger in your vision. And your problems, your fears become smaller and smaller and smaller. So take your eyes off your feeble fears and focus them on your faithful father. That's one way to handle worship, uh, handle fear is through worship. So David comes back from his times of worship feeling that, man, I've got the rock under my feet and I'm seeing beyond the enemy and I'm seeing the victory that God is assuring me in the future. So sometimes fears arise in our life and the circumstances that we face. But beyond that, sometimes they come from ourselves. We have a fear of failure. Failure in life, failure in our relationships, failure in our marriage, failure in our job, failure in raising children, uh, failure in living out the high priorities and, and uh, the essentials, things of life. And so there's a fear of, of failing in our own life. And that's the second thing that David addresses here is diffusing the fear of failure. Look at verse 7. <coughs> he says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. You see, David was confident in God. But at this point, he's not so sure about himself. God can be trusted, but can I trust myself? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a man of clay. I know I'm fallible. So it's one thing to behold God in his sanctuary and to, to hold on to the fullness of who God is. It's quite another to see the enemy approaching on the battlefield and thinking, well, I've got a part in this as well. And so David is there. He's, he's crying out, you know. Um, he, he's thinking, what if there's something wrong in my life? Maybe I've got sin in my life. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Is God going to abandon me? Well, when David cries out in, in this part of the psalm, look what God does. God answers him in his heart. And he says, come and talk to me. Uh, literally, it means come, or, or literally, it means seek my face. Now, what does it mean, seek my face? Well, you go over to Numbers, the sixth chapter, and we learn that, you know, the Lord... Um, the Lord's face shines upon us. It means that he is pleased with us. In scripture, when, when God is pleased, he show, shines his face on you. But when God is displeased, what does it do? He turns his face from you. He turns his face from you. And so we've got to search our hearts. We've got to confess our sin. 
But here is an invitation to seek God's pleasure. Um, God hasn't abandoned David. No, the opposite is, is what's true. God is still with David. God is supporting David. And there in verse 10, David's using a familiar parable of his day. Um, to really set up a contrast, you know, you know, maybe my parents will abandon me, but the contrast is, but God will never abandon me because God cares for us like a father or mother cares for the children. And, and, you know, maybe it's unlikely that your parents are going to abandon you, but certainly God will never abandon you. So out of this passage comes what I would say is another guideline for facing fear comes out of this whole section and what's the whole theme of this section it's prayer it's prayer and so we need to face our fears with prayer that's guide the next guideline face your fears with prayer i mean there's nothing that's better therapy for fear than prayer Uh, and i want you to notice here this is what's great about this section of scripture notice how honest god uh, david is with god Notice how honest he is. This is not some kind of syrupy, flowery kind of prayer that's intended to impress God or anybody else who's listening. No, this is raw honesty on David's part. Don't turn your back on me. Don't reject me. Don't abandon me. I absolutely love the fact that God can take our honesty. We can be honest with God. You're not going to offend God by being honest before him. What offends God is when we're hypocritical and, and we think we're going to fool him about what we're really feeling in our life. fact of the matter is he knows. That's a fact. He knows. And, and that might be the, one of the greatest truths that you and I could ever learn is that God knows how you feel. God knows your fears. And again, he says 365 times, don't be afraid. Folks, you and I can be honest with God. Don't don't try to play games with him. Be honest before him. God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my life. Just be honest before God. Go to God in prayer with your fears because he wants to strengthen you. He wants to release you from your fears. And finally... If there's one fear that just seems to be universal, it's the fear of the future. So how do we diffuse fear for the future? That's the third thing that comes out of this psalm. Diffusing fear for the future. Verse 11. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right paths, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, you and I know the rest of the story here. We know that King Saul never gets to David. And King Saul is killed in battle and David becomes the king and establishes his kingdom. But David didn't know that. Uh, David didn't know what the next day was going to bring. He knew none of that. And so the future for David was highly uncertain at this point. And, And as a wise soldier, he realized that even if he won the first victory, the first battle, 
There'd be other enemies that would be laying in wait for him. There would be other difficulties and fights that he had to engage in. And, And maybe at the time of this writing, maybe Saul had withdrawn his forces from uh, from pursuing David. Uh, maybe he had retreated and, and David was now concerned about their return. Okay, they're not out there now, but I wake up tomorrow, they're going to be there. I love what uh, Scottish preacher Andrew Bonar said. He gave this wise advice. He said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Let us be as wise after victory as before the battle. Because that's smart advice. Because sometimes, folks, Satan's greatest attacks come after we've had a great victory in God. Because we're set up for a fall. God has been so good to us. And Satan says, yeah, now I've got you. Now I've got you. So David is asking God for guidance. He says, lead me along the right path. He's praying for victory over those who are slandering him and speaking lies against him. And again... This prayer for help is not uh, an admission of some kind of lack of faith on David's part. That David is saying, well, I don't have much faith, God, please, please help me. No, because in other the great Psalms of David, uh, David expresses his trust, his faithfulness, his faith in God's goodness. That it was going to follow him. That God's goodness would never run out. That he could go into God's presence and he could ask for help. The key here is faith in God. Faith in God. Do you want to know what faith in God looks like? Look at verse 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. That's faith. Wait patiently. We have trouble with that, don't we? We, we just, we, we're not patient at all, you know. But look at David. Instead of rushing on ahead, he calmly waited on the Lord. Faith and patience go together, folks. And when we get impatient, you know what happens? We get anxious. And when we get anxious, you know what happens? We get fearful. So an antidote to fear is to be patient. Wait on God. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So right there is that, what I would call that final guideline for facing fear. And that is, we need to face our fears with confidence in God's sovereignty. Face your fears with confidence in God's sovereignty. Do you know what God's sovereignty is? What does that word mean? Any thoughts? It's, it's that amazing fact that God is absolutely all-powerful, that God is absolutely all-knowing, that God is absolutely always present, and that God is absolutely in control of everything. There is no situation that I'm going to face. There is no situation that you're going to face. There is no situation that your family member is going to face or your friend's going to face or a co-worker is going to face. Or, or there's no situation that God is not absolutely able to work inside that situation. He is absolutely in control. And so because of my relationship with God through faith, I can be confident, folks, That God is totally in control. You know why I can be confident in that? 
Because the Bible teaches me that God is crazy in love with me. And he wants us to be in love with him as well. And so it's through that confident love. That God loves me so much. And and I'm seeking to love him. It's through that confident love. That we can overcome our fears. Fear is overcome by an undying love and trust in God. And his faithfulness and his goodness. Look what John wrote about in, in 1 John Uh, 4 beginning verse 16 he says we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love now let me stop right there does that verse describe you do you know how much God loves you and have you put your trust in that love Uh, are you trusting God's love John goes on and he says, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And then in verse 18 he says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. When you and I come to a real understanding of how much God loves us and we are daily learning how to love him more and more and more, perfect love expels all fear casts out all fear, pushes aside all fear. See, Paul understood the love of God was absolutely essential for overcoming anything that we might fear. And so because God is sovereign, folks, nothing can change our standing in God's love. You get that? There's nothing that you're facing that can change God's love toward you. And you can stand firm in that love. You can feel his embrace around you. Listen to what Paul said. Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The construction of the Greek language in this whole passage here calls for a response that simply says nothing. There is nothing, 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 nothing. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And and the response is nothing. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And the answer would be no. There's, it doesn't mean that at all. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Why are you fearful? Nothing will ever separate you from God's love. A God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is always present, a God who is in control of everything. I am convinced that nothing will ever separate me from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fear for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my soul, why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? God is absolutely in control. And he loves you. He's crazy in love with you. Don't ever doubt it. Instead, stand firm in it. There's nothing to be afraid of. 365 times, don't be afraid. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for your love.
Thank you for reminding us this morning that your love is all we need. It's the antidote for fear. That it takes away the fear as we put our faith, our trust, our hope completely in you and your love for us. I pray that uh, as we face this new year, that any time that Satan wants to throw a fear into our hearts, that we could pause and we could just say, nope, God loves me. And he is all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. And he is well able to control whatever is going on. I will not fear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our life. To remind us each and every day how much you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.